This podcast is brought to you by flix.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site. Welcome to The Take, The Mandalorian, a podcast after show discussing everything about the first live action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, exclusive to Disney+. Plus. I am your host and co-pilot, Blake Howard. You would catch me on flicks.com.au, Dark Horizons, where I'm a freelance film critic, and every podcast delivered by One Heat Minute Productions. And I'm joined by my amazing co-pilot and co-host, editor of The Nerdist, Lindsay Romain. Linz, what... Uh, come back. <laughs> yes. Oh man. I, uh, I feel pretty excited this week. I know last week we were a little bit down on the episode and it's funny. I've been like kind of going through Twitter today and it seems like people are a little down on this one, but I loved this week's episode. I can't wait to talk about it. I, I love just behind the curtain that Lynn's just caught the episode a little bit earlier than I did this week. And I love when she doesn't tell me a thing, but she just said, people are going to freak out. And I hadn't seen it. So then that freaked me out. Like I turned into a mini conspiracy theorist for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, ah, what has happened? I need to watch this immediately. Um, but let's just talk through the crew of the episode um, that is back this week. Uh, George Lucas Padawan architect of the Clone Wars and Rebels and the Resistance. The epic sort of maestro Dave Filoni is back, his second live-action directed episode of the series. Um, Obviously, written by Jon Favreau, he's back again. Um, We've got... Um, a, a great little crew of... Oh, actually, Dave, Dave Filoni wrote this episode. Oh, did he? I'm sorry. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, sorry, thank you for the correction. I'll start that again. <laughs> okay. Directed by Dave Filoni and also written by Dave Filoni. This episode feels plucked right out of the Rebels universe for me. I was watching it and I was like, this episode feels like Rebels writ large. And we've got a couple of um, a, a couple of uh, new guest stars. Uh, Jake Cannavale plays Toro. Ming-Na Wen um, comes on as an assassin, Fennec Shand. But I think what might make Strangers with Candy lunatics like absolutely lose their mind is the wonderful Amy Sedaris in like a circa alien Ripley wig uh, as an attendant at a Moss Isley. That's right. Moss Isley spaceport. Um, so yeah, we kick off this episode and after a unsuccessful uh, attempt on his life, Mando limps with baby Yoda in the razor's crest through space. He's hanging about in the outer rim goes to the nearest planet, and it is none other than the most iconic planet in the Star Wars universe, Tatooine. Yeah, when I was watching this episode, like you mentioned, I watched it on a screener last night, and uh, I, as soon as he like says the most Isley, like he's making contact with the most Isley base, I literally like perked up. I was like, wait, what? what? <laughs> Did he really just say most Isley? And then you kind of like see that iconic shot of like the, the sandy planet, like through the razor crest window. And I just was like, oh man, I know that this episode is going to be total fan service and I'm already so excited. <laughs> I, I had like, I had a really fun time last night. There was a few people, um, 
you know, before we get into the big details, you know, there's different reactions to the week. And so what's really funny, Lindsay, is like you and I were such on the same page last week that the episode quality, the kind of structure of the show, the way that it was sort of paced, it just, it felt incongruous to all that other great stuff that we'd been seeing. And it just didn't have the same punch of the other episodes. I don't know, it was tonally different. The, the, there was just too much dialogue. It felt like it was so expository as opposed to being really sort of experiential. What's been cool is you're kind of experiencing the other episodes and in this one everyone's talking about stuff. But you get to episode five and I can totally tell um, uh, I can totally tell that like people, you know, are either going to respond positively to a sort of fans more fan service episode or completely negatively. And there's a wonderful New Zealand film critic, a very articulate um, guy by the name of Andrew Todd. And he wrote two tweets last night that like, as much as I loved it, just made me laugh at someone's reaction being so different to mine. Um, he read, <laughs> well, this week's Mandalorian doesn't exactly do much to rebut the nostalgia porn criticism <laughs> uh, was his first tweet. And he followed it up with like, I just don't understand what you all see in the show. I feel like I'm being gaslit. And I just laughed at those tweets. I was like, Look, I love these tweets that there's someone out there who's such a film person who's so into the series who like, so, so into the Star Wars saga rather, but is like really not liking the series because for me last <laughs> night, the minute that he gets onto Mos Eisley, I'm just like, oh, thank, just like, it was like a cleanse from last week. I was like, God damn it. I need this. I really need, I really need him to be on Mos Eisley right now. I need to see Amy Sedaris in a silly wig that is completely distracting me talking to, you know, um, repurposed pod racing droids. Uh, I, I need all of these things. And I was just, I was just so happy. Yeah, I think, I mean, to kind of go off Andrew's point, which I love Andrew Todd, he's a great writer and a really great critic. Uh, but he, he shares a sentiment that I think a lot of people have, which is sort of like, what is this show even really trying to say? It's not that deep, whatever. I've seen a lot of people say that. And, you know, I think that's a fair criticism that it is yeah. kind of not super deep. And that was something I was worried about going into the show. I was just like, I don't know that I, I care about this. Like I was excited, but I didn't know how much I was going to feel invested. And the thing that has really been a pleasant surprise for me, because I would tend, would tend to be that kind of critic. Like normally I agree with people yeah. like Andrew and stuff like this. But the thing about The Mandalorian is that, and I say this with love and respect to it, it's really kind of a silly show. Like, it is yes. kind of like, you know, it's goofy. and But that's fine. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's supposed to be fun. And I'm not saying that, like, if you don't like it, you're, you don't know how to have fun. That's not what I mean. But, like, I, I think... <laughs> I think that's what I'm, we're saying. I think that's what I love the most extreme position that we could take on this. <laughs> I really, I just have like enjoyed the sort of, especially with all of the like theorizing and stuff going on with Rise of Skywalker. I feel like that's kind of like the heavier palette thing right now. Yes. And so for me, the Mandalorian is just like a nice little fun step into the Star Wars universe. Yes, there's a lot of nostalgia. Yes, there's a lot of like, you know, callbacks and characters and planets and stuff. But it's also like, it's just kind of a, it's like opening a toy box for Star Wars fans. You know, you can open it up and just take out the stuff you like and play for a little bit and then put it back in. And like just each week, it feels like something like that. You're like, you're just kind of, it's a little like slice of Star Wars cake. And I think that's fine. Also, it's a nice palate cleanser. It, it, it totally, I totally agree. And I think that that was, that were the best elements of say Rogue One, where it was like, look, we're seeing a guy yeah. who's taking out his favorite elements of the Star Wars toy box and getting to play with them for a little bit. And then that's, you know, we, that's it. Like it was just, that's, that's the whole anthology story feel of it. And for me, 
and, and this is something that you and I are probably more familiar with than folks who haven't really deep dived on the Clone War series or Rebels. It's like if you were to compare Rebels series one with series three, series one is like this. Series one yeah. is like the stakes are completely low. We're fleshing out characterization. We're fleshing out motivation. We're exploring the landscape of the world where occasionally some episodes are meeting some really significant and important figures and other ones were just chasing sand crawlers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it has, it has a flow that you don't really know what the stakes of the whole series are yet because you haven't been able to get far enough into it yet. And what I really am, what, what I would really encourage for folk, if that's, if that's what we're worried about, don't. Because the architects of this series, especially if Filoni is involved and, and Favreau seems to be, you know, emerging in that cohort as someone who kind of just gets it, is the longer that the series goes, the more stakes it will have the more monumental yeah. the stakes will get. And so right now I'm, I'm, I love, and, and, and I've seen other people quote it. Um, uh, another Aussie critic, Cam Williams called it a Saturday morning cartoon feel. And I think yeah. that that's what you nailed, which is it, it doesn't have to have those huge monstrous stakes. Um, and it can be slightly goofy. You know, we can have the X machina of, you know, hundreds of Mandalorians coming in with their jetpacks and saving um, our guy <laughs> and baby Yoda. Like it does have that goofy quality, but yeah, for the, for this week for me, I I just was, you know, I I have not liked I have not liked, and and actually felt pretty um against some of those times where I feel they use a character like you know the the CGI Peter Cushing and the CGI uh, Carrie Fisher from Rogue One are like my most gratingly. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I, I tell people, I'm like, I can't watch that movie now because they, they, they offend me too much. Like Carrie's too important yeah. to me. Like I can't, it, I, I, the fact that they showed her face, like they could have just had any actor that had that kind of had the dimensions of Carrie Fisher, even Billy, like get her daughter to be the girl in the, you know, who's got the same kind of yeah. body shape and never show her face. Like we never, if anyone doesn't know who's wearing that white outfit with the, with the earmuffs, of hair, then you're not a Star Wars fan and it doesn't matter. Like, and so, but, but then just going to a world and just like giving you little extra details, you know, this is the Moss Eisley sort of, you know, tower, you know, go to, go to docking bay 34 and, and just having those little flares and little touches and seeing a do back and in, in action and nice 2019 CGI action and seeing some other assassins at play and, hearing things like the Dune Sea and talking to Tuscan Raiders instead of murdering them <laughs> maniacally like Anakin in Attack of the Clones. I was freaking, yeah. like, I was so in for every part of this episode. I was just having a, I had a ball. Like I, I, this is one of those rare ones where I like, I watched it and I digested it. And then I was like, I'll just put that on again while I'm doing a few things around the house. Cause that was fun. Totally. Well, and I think also something to keep in mind, like with Tatooine, Going there, obviously, yes, as you said at the top of the episode, it's probably the most iconic planet in Star Wars. It's the one that we've seen the most, you know, throughout canon. But it's also, it makes sense in the universe of the Mandalorian that they would go to this planet. It's an outer rim planet, and it's yes. also kind of a hive, a hive for scum and villainy, like, you know, the characters that populate the Mandalorian. So it's completely sensical that they would go there. It's not like they just like went to, you know, some random, you know, they're not just like on Coruscant or something like they're in a place that makes sense to like this story in particular. And so I think that's why it works and that's why it's not just empty nostalgia. Yes, there are some <laughs> nostalgic things. I don't know that we needed to go to the cantina. I was fine that we went there, but you know, I think like when you go to Tatooine and you go to Mos Eisley, like, 
there are certain things that are going to be there. But yeah, it makes sense that the Mandalorian would be familiar with this place. Yeah, and also I one thing I really liked, and I think we can start diving into the episode. So the beginning of the episode, there's a little, there's a really excellent dogfight um, in space where someone yeah. has tracked Mando and the Razor's Crest and is like literally tooling him up, and it was only thanks to kind of the engine of the Razor's Crest stalling after this uh, um, after this sort of more like Naboo kind of Jedi-looking speeder um, uh, a plane, uh, sorry, a uh, um, uh, spacecraft is like firing at him, bang, 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 just like tooling him up. And the, his ship stalls, which fortunately puts this guy in his sights and he gets to blow him up. And then the, the ship essentially limps through space to get to Mos Eisley where – he parks at Moss Eisley Spaceport. We meet Amy Sedaris's um, uh, Amy Sedaris's um, lovely little uh, uh, custodian of um, that spaceport, who he pays to just take care of the ship and start working on it and doing some of those key repairs. And Mando is like no droids, so her little pit crew of pod racing um, sort of uh, droids, like little nice bumbling pod racing droids, aren't allowed to touch the ship. Uh, and he's in Moss Eisley. So where does he go? He goes to the iconic cantina, which is usually in our minds, permanently, you know, um, scarred in our minds as the place that Han shot first, where we've got some McClunky happening in recent years, where you've got the <laughs> wretched hive of scum and villainy and all of the, all of those key quintessential hut, associate bounty hunters all hanging out in there and so when he's walking towards that door one thing the show does really well is you go you're just expecting the cantina music that we play every week on this show you're expecting a whole slew of aliens and it's actually pretty sparse and yeah. so what's kind of interesting which again potentially the show gets to flesh out for us later is like the huts did have control but we're post jedi and it's no longer yeah. and it's no longer which was pretty exciting to me, Linz. It's no longer a guild bar, despite the fact that some guild members do go there from time to time. This is no longer the place that we knew in A New Hope and definitely was, wasn't around <coughs> post the fall of the huts in the, last, uh, in the Return of the Jedi. Um, and now in the reemergence of the New Republic, it's just uh, it's a different, completely different scene. Yeah, I mean, this is our first time seeing Tatooine after the events of Return of the Jedi. So yeah, it, I think as a piece of world building, it's really interesting to go back there and just see what the world looks like post post Jabba. Yeah. Uh, although the, the huts are still referenced in this episode, and they've been referenced, kind of teased a little bit throughout this series. So I do feel like it's only a matter of time before we get some updates on uh, the hut crime syndicate. But, oh, but yeah. Uh, and yeah, in the I words would, of Werner yeah. Herzog, Use a puppet, you cowards. Like, give me yeah. a Jabba puppet. I, I've just gone through the entire series again in preparation. I'm now up to the new trilogy to revisit this week, you know, with Force Awakens and mm-hmm. Jedi. And the Return of the Jedi Jabba is genuinely still perfect to this day. Like, it was made in 1982, yeah. three, or released in 83, and it's perfect. Like, it looks and feels amazing in the frame, everything's perfect. And then every version, you know, that you could revisit on VHS or DVD of like the inserted Jabba into the frame in episode four or the early one that was in episode one, it's just like, they're not the same. They just don't have the same presence on screen. It's just balmy. It's, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about Mandalorian so far and something that I've really taken to is that you can tell that there's this mix of practical effects and 
sort of CGI stuff so that it feels like it's of both worlds. I'd yes. say of anything, it's the thing that, that bridges the, the prequels and the, the sequels and the non, you know, or not sequels, I'm sorry, the original trilogy, the non-updated <laughs> original trilogy. It kind of like seamlessly blends the two yes. in a way that those those updated versions couldn't really I think probably just because technology exists now so that you can make it <laughs> make yeah. bad tech look better, if that makes sense. Like the pit droids in this episode, they look like something that would be in the prequels. Obviously they are in the prequels, but seeing them in this context, like it, it looked really good. Yes. It, it's just, it's interesting. But then also like the dog fight that you mentioned at the beginning of this episode looked very practical to me. Like I was like, I can tell that there's, there's some practical stuff going on here. So especially yeah, the I've explosion. There's nothing like yeah. the old explosions where they're literally blowing totally. things up. They're blowing models up. And that was so cool when it lands in his sights and Mando hits fire on that missile and it blows up. Like it felt like they blew up a model and you're like, whoa. And I'm sure, I'm sure they did when I was at Celebration at the Mandalorian panel. Uh, they've, or, um, John Favreau t- like spent a lot of time talking about how most of the Razor Crest effects in space are all practical. They built the ship. They showed us some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that they used to accomplish some of that. So, yeah, every time I see it in space, it looks so real, and it's because it is. So, yes. yeah, it's cool. So we're, we're in Mos Eisley Cantina. We, we see Mando go up to... Uh, a droid at the bar. And I mean, we've got our cantina aliens of the week that's coming later up in the show, but we're literally in a cantina now. He's talking to the droid behind the bar. It's no longer, um, it's no longer a sort of gruff uh, British guy that's been overdubbed by an American (laughs) um, uh, (laughs) behind the bar. It's, it's a droid. And he's sort of asking, you know, guild members, I'm looking for work. And the droid is kind of not literally and figuratively not computing that that's what it is. Uh, And then we meet, you know, uh, young Jake Cannavale as Toro, and uh, he's a an emerging bounty hunter. He's very, very first on his very, very first score, which just happens to be Ming Na Wen's Fennec Shand, who is a complete and utter badass. And asks the Mando for help, and says, "Look, I'll give you the money, but I just I need this to get into the Bounty Hunters Guild." And so that's that's the job. He jumps on board with this guy begrudgingly because he has no money. His, his money was, uh, Beskar, which is now his gorgeous armor. Uh, and he then has to basically leave Yoda to be babysat by the completely adorable, equally adorable Amy Sedaris, uh, and, uh, <laughs> jump in some land speeders. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. Some speeder bikes and fly beyond the dune sea, uh, to go and catch, uh, this, this Ming Na Wen Fennec Shand, uh, and it's oh, it's it's so great. Yeah, I was really excited. I mean, obviously, you know, from the beginning, seeing Amy Sedaris was so exciting. But I got really excited to see Jake Cannavale in this uh, episode too. Uh, for those who don't know, he's Bobby Cannavale's son, uh, who's a, a famous actor. They look identical. Yes. <laughs> kind of freaky. Yeah. I, I knew of his son just because I I follow them on Instagram, so I was like aware <laughs> of who he was. Um, but yeah, he's got that same kind of rugged thing, like quality that his dad has that makes him so charming. It does almost make him have kind of a Han Solo vibe. I know he's much more green and, and a bounty hunter and whatever, but um, yeah, I liked that they were kind of like playing with that. I think they're literally, when we meet him, are literally in the booth where uh, Han shoots Greedo. So, it is, it uh, is sacred ground they are in. in that yeah. Moment. It is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was really excited to see him. And I I was really excited about this storyline too. I mean, 
one of the, like we were talking about complaints that we've been seeing about this episode and I saw some people say like it was sort of an inconsequential episode but I think the story of seeing a bounty hunter like someone trying to get into the bounty hunting business we haven't really seen that in Star Wars before and I really loved that I liked the opportunity to to show like kind of the beginning stages of this and how it's how you, you make one wrong move and it means your your demise really you know it's like you've got to be really thinking five steps five steps ahead at all times and so yeah I, I was really interested in this and then yeah obviously seeing Fennec Shand was was amazing uh she's just kind of adding to the the catalog of awesome female characters that they're putting into this series and yeah I thought the performance was great she's the titular gunslinger of the episode there's a very western you know I know there was some debate on the internet last week if this was more of a, a samurai show or a western show which is kind of uh, you know, let, let's those, let's dissuade those, let's dissuade everyone. They're the same. Yeah, let, yeah. I, I get, <laughs> they are the same. exactly the same because the guy who invented the modern samurai movie, Akira Kurosawa, was mm-hmm. obsessed, clinically obsessed with John Ford. <laughs> it's right. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, and it's such a, it's it's ignorant of film history to act like those two genres aren't you know basically holding hands. Oh, so they, they, yeah. they, they, if Man, the Mandalorian, if we, if we were to describe those genres as characters, back in like 1940, there was the Western series, the genre series is the Mandalorian and this little emerging cute baby that everyone became obsessed with, Baby Yoda, is samurai movies in Japan. <laughs> it's like they, they just sort of nursed them into existence and then, you know, obviously became their own insanely rich thing. Um, that you could totally spend, you know, once this series ends, you could spend months like diving through a catalog of just the masterpieces that are in the genre from all of the Japanese Titans, like just go, you could do that. So that's, you know, just jump onto the criterion Blu-ray collection and like almost every Akira Kurosawa film is there. And then Wolf and Lone Wolf and Carbon, you, you're, you're kind of halfway there basically. Right. Um, um, but yeah, no, so they're so together. And I, I wanted to ask you a question in a moment about the gunslinger, but I did love, I did love the look of Jake Cannavale because he was kind of like, there's something that, you know, and we talked a little bit about CGI just before. There's something that you can't make happen digitally in my mind. I don't think it's you can do it successfully is that it felt like a little bit like Jake Cannavale doesn't really know what his body is yet. Like he doesn't embrace his height. Like he feels like he's hunched a little bit. It's lacking confidence. Whereas you look at his dad now, who's just recently been in the Irishman. Obviously he's been in, in many, many, many things. Um, but he's got, like Bobby Cannavale has got this like swagger. He's got these big shoulders, this really great jawline. Like he's got a super expressive face. He's both a very hilarious comedic actor and can be a very tough and serious and gritty actor. And what's cool is that like Jake's a little hunched and he doesn't, he's not, he's not comfortable in his own skin. So there's something so great there about like going, Oh, I think I'm going to do this. And I love that relationship of like the Mandalorian has had the, the luxury perhaps because of his culture to just be inherently trusting. Like if he says, I'm going to do something, he rarely does the double cross. And like, that was like the pretty significant thing about him blowing away our lovely Taika Waititi voice droid in the first episode was he didn't seem like a guy that double crossed people, even though the bounty hunters, absolutely. That's like, that's their bag. You know, they're going to get double cross, but it was kind of cute and sad. And you're just like the way that Cannavale's Toro is like hunched over and like not sure and feels like he's a bit, 
lacking that confidence is like, you're like, this guy is setting himself up to be double cross. Like he doesn't get how dangerous it is when it goes to those higher levels because these people don't last for a long time. Like there's not, there's a, there's a finite thing um, about all of these people. So, you know, and, and especially this gunslinger, which we can talk about because I've got a little bit of a theory here, but Vanek Shand, <laughs> when she's, when she puts her, like a, a marker dot onto that guy who's riding the do back on purpose. So she's basically just got a, a free shot to whoever, it, <coughs> excuse me, whoever's coming to pursue her. That was just so, so cool in this episode. And then, uh, and, and obviously we get to a, we get to a moment where they, actually stop her capture her and there's some negotiations that take us to the end of the episode yeah yeah it was uh definitely a surprising thing i was um not necessarily expecting fennec shan to go out as quickly as she does you know she kind of teaches toro like maybe she basically fills him in on the mandalorian situation you know with his bounty and the you know the baby yoda of it all and and yeah, he and, ends up double crossing her. Yeah, and the Beskar, like that was the that was it's yeah, like, the Beskar. It's like if you, if you if you kill this guy and take the Beskar, you'll earn way more than I'm paying you. And if you right, <laughs> and if you <coughs> excuse me, and if you give me, and and if you and if you let me take you to the job I'm giving you, I'll pay you double. No, 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 I want to get in the guild. Okay, well, right, I got some news for you then. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The whole thing is like, it plays out really interestingly. And it, like I was saying before, it shows, you know, that the bounty hunters are always thinking on sort of different steps ahead or, you know, sometimes that can be to their, their detriment or to their, you know, benefit. But in this case, it kind of screws Shand who thinks that she can kind of like outsmart this very green up and coming wannabe bounty hunter. And she doesn't really, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot kind of going on there because as we see by episode end, by episode's end, I don't know if she's really dead. I don't, I don't know. This whole scenario was, was interesting, but yeah, basically Toro shoots her and kind of takes off and he goes and he kidnaps baby Yoda. (laughs) Whenever baby Yoda is in a perilous situation, suddenly your allegiance kind of turns. (laughs) As soon as you took him, I was like, Oh, he can die. I don't care. You're like, you're like, uh, it's it's like the guys who, it's like the guys who killed John Wick's puppy. It's like the minute someone right. bad puts a gun to Baby Yoda's head or tries to kill him, you're like, "Sorry, bro, it's all over yeah. for you. We're we're happy that you're gonna <laughs> die. That you know, you better you better shoot real good to get that Mandalorian in between that Beskar steel, because it's it's not it's not gonna happen for you at the end of this. But no, it was a yeah. a great double cross, a great bit of betrayal. A great bit of stuff. So let's. I, I think. I think we can definitely dive into the segments because I think we can start talking about our surprises of the week and a couple of conspiracy theories. Um, as as I sort of tease at the beginning of the episode. So excuse me. Get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. The destination of the week. This is Tatooine. How could we not <laughs> talk that it's Tatooine, the Dune Sea? Tuscan Raiders, it had it all. Like it was just so fun to be back, seeing Mos Eisley Spaceport, seeing a new part of the spaceport, just everything about it. So great. Enjoyed being here. Loved and and I'm 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 all about an episode that can take place on a Star Wars planet that tells us a little bit about the landscape in 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 in, in its own way that sort of does that. I think you put it so greatly is like this is the film that it, this is the TV property that is bridging films for us as far as um, almost like bridging aesthetics, um, you know, showing us that there's right. an in-between and, you know, 
adding a few dots to that dotted line between the different series. Um, but yeah, I was just so happy to be back on Tatooine. They could do episodes like this at other famous Star Wars locations, you know, every five episodes and I would be very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think, uh, yeah, the, like we said, the, it was definitely a nostalgic decision made by Dave Filoni to take us to this place, but sometimes you just need that. And like, I don't know, there's been a lot of callbacks to stuff already and just kind of luxuriating in that nostalgia sometimes as a fan is fun, especially for an episode of a TV show where that's just kind of like what it's that's, doing. That's what the show is. It's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> in the words of the Irishman <laughs> this week, it's what it is. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> Cantina, Alien of the Week. Linz, who's your pick? Thank you. We're the Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song. All right, same song. Here we go. You know, I'm going to sound like a very green Star Wars fan because I don't actually know the breed of alien, but uh, it's the one that kind of looks like a giant ant yes. <laughs> with the yellow eyes. I like what that. What is guy. that? I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know I, if we I've know been, that. Species. I've been trying to find that species online at the moment, and it will eventually emerge. We might mention it for next episode. I'm going to make a note to mention it if we can find it, but I couldn't find exactly what it was. But yeah, I thought it was like a, a, the first thing I thought was like that's like a giant flying ant. It's kind of sitting there. It's looking yeah. weird. Like the eyes are gigantic. It's it's got that kind or of like, a fly. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, like a giant Louis the Fly. <laughs> like a really gross, <laughs> you know, Cronenberg version of Louis the Fly. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Very, very cool, Alien. I I really liked and you know this this might sound like that nostalgic tragic as us but like this week the one thing I really enjoyed was just not prescribing to the fact that Tuscan Raiders are complete evil mauling things and actually right. the Mandalorian reframing so they they sort of become my 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 favorite canteen alien of the week because a they don't populate cantinas but b they may be the original species the indigenous species to tatooine and that other outer rim peoples settled it and other things have happened or or they might be one of a few species that live there but i just liked that they could also be negotiators they could also be traded with they could also you know um they they weren't just what we'd come to know them. It was just nice for another little wrinkle. And I think in some of the Star Wars comic books, there's famous Tusken Raider Padawans, um, one that's a Padawan to Kiati mm-hmm. Mundi. Um, and and I think that there are other things in the series and especially in the extended, you know, the the extended universe or the um, of, of Star Wars stories where they sort of come in and you can see that. But it was nice in a show to see that as opposed to, you know, this, they'll be back and with greater numbers. Like that's all we've ever had of them before. So it was really nice to have like a little bit of negotiation, chuck some binoculars. Yeah, that's all yeah. that stuff is great fun. Yeah, it felt a little bit like like Dave Filoni kind of going in and correcting some of the assumptions that you could make about Tuscan Raiders from, you know, Attack of the Clones. We see them as like these savage characters who yes. torture and kill Anakin's mother. And it always felt, that always felt a little gross to me. It's like saying that these indigenous cultures are like, you know, savages and I, I don't know how much real world analogy that is even meant to like provoke but it was something I always that kind of always sat weird with me and so this was like Dave Filoni showing that they can be good and negotiable and you just need to know how to communicate with them which it turns out being like a, some kind of primitive sign language that that works for them and I don't think I don't think we've seen that before I could be wrong so no I, I, yeah, don't, I, I, don't, I don't ever remember seeing, I don't ever remember seeing that and I really really liked it yeah I, 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 and 
there's just so much. You know, I I did a, a rewatch of Attack of the Clones the other day, and during that rewatch, Lindsay, and I'll tell our listeners, I did tweet about it, but I literally watched it with every single scene that featured Anakin and Padme in Fast Forward. Um, and so I missed the Tusken Raiders scene, which and, and all the surrounding scenes, which are so creepy and dark and kind of disturbing. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Um, because I had them in fast forward. Or, or actually, no, I didn't miss them. I just saw them flying by it as fast as fast forward right. could happen on Disney+. Plus. Um, and the movie still wasn't great, uh, but it was better. <laughs> it was better when those scenes are there. Um, but yeah, like I, that was the last time that I watched Tusken Raiders. So I was like, mm, okay, it's nice to, um, other than obviously the classic Star Wars A New Hope, um, which I'd, you know, wait have seen 500 million times, but I, I, I liked that. I really liked that. So Linz, let's get to our Lindsay Romaine. I'm your father. Surprise. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. I think the big one for me was the very end. You know, you think yes. the episode was all oh, over and yes. then we see... We see this little coda, which is basically someone approaching Fennec Shan's body. I, I don't, we, again, we don't know if she's dead or not. I feel like she's probably not, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on or if it's just somebody who's coming to, to raid whatever she has on her. But yeah, it, uh, it ends with a mysterious figure hunching over Fennec Shan's body and we don't really know what's going on. I have some ideas. I'm curious if you do also. <laughs> Love I, don't, I, I, I don't, I didn't. I purposely didn't go down the rabbit hole yet until we talked because I was excited to see if you'd heard anything through the grapevine of who that is. But it, 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 it put a massive question mark at the end of this episode that says, who is the gunslinger? Like, I, I you know, yeah. the, the, the straight up thing is to think, yes, it's Fennec Shand or maybe it's Toro, you know, like, you know, sort of tongue in cheek way. Oh yeah. He's the gunslinger. This emerging new thing. But those boots and that cloak walking up to Fennec Shand to take that bounty, or maybe it's on the trail of Mando. And, and sort of delicately walking up to approach her, I was like, I'm scared of that person. Like, I don't know who that is. Yeah. And um, I love that, you know, in a show that has like dropped such amazing clangers on us, like with baby Yoda in the first episode, and like, we've just been reeling from it ever since uh, to see them reveal a character in the coolest old, you know, bad black boots, black cloak, walking up delicately to a downed famous uh, <coughs> perhaps infamous bounty hunter um, I loved that I was like I think that's the gunslinger and I think that's maybe our big bad for the series I don't know like I they, they were all the things that immediately popped out but I was like that's not a cliffhanger but it's very close to a cliffhanger and I was just like that's my surprise of the week obviously you know when I was writing and preparing for the show I was like my surprise of the week is that we're on Tatooine. Like <laughs> that's the best possible thing. Or maybe mm -hmm, the surprise. Yeah. And then, then I wrote over that. Like, no, the surprise of the week is the Tusken Raiders can do hand signals and can be negotiated with. That's so cool. Uh, but my, no, my real surprise of the week. Absolutely agree. And I'd love to hear if you've got any more theories for, for folks who are listening, because I, I was just like, Oh, I love that, that whoever that is, I'm like, they're on the trail. Baby Yoda, watch out. 
<laughs> watch out, baby. Yeah, I think, you know, I saw a lot of people online trying, like, speculating if it was Boba Fett. Mm. Um, it's not. It's, I mean, it, unless he's in completely different armor, that's not his no. suit. You know, he doesn't have. Um, he doesn't have armor on his legs like this character does and his cape isn't that long so it's definitely not Boba unless he's got some kind of upgraded costume Um, I think it's Giancarlo Esposito's character who um, yeah who we see a lot in the the trailers and who again not to like get celebration-y I know I was in the room where it happened for celebration but uh, we we saw some footage of that character this is the insight (laughs) that we need from you as in on the ground ahead of time you know this show lives in the world of spoilers so guys it's spoilers but you know our our speculation might be informed we're not going to tell and you're not going to drop any details but you know yeah I don't know and and he was in one of the trailers we've seen his face in the trailers we've just never seen his legs so I'm like (laughs) so you yeah. So it's hard to tell. Well, he definitely in the trailers has like a long black cape. So I think that that is like maybe the main reason why I first thought it was him. But also, you know, to give some celebration insight, we saw some footage of his character where he gave like a really kind of terrifying like pro-Empire speech. Mm. Um, I don't remember the exact details of it, but I just remember thinking like this guy's scary and he's going to be awesome. And he still hasn't showed up in the show. So like you were saying, this kind of feels like it's teasing a big bad. I assumed from the footage that we saw at Celebration that he was going to be the big bad. So this that seems to track for me. I think that's what they're setting up. Great. Loved it. I was yeah. just so all about that. And, um, you know, when you have great actors too, you know, they've already had Werner Herzog, but you get someone like Giancarlo. He's just amazing. So um, I'm excited yeah. for him to be in the show. Like another great enduring character actor that hopefully is getting paid a squillion bucks to be in this show so that he gets to go (laughs) and continue to work all of the wonderful indie projects that he continues to champion in his long and storied (laughs) and diverse career. Um, So that's great. Linz, who's our MVP of the week? The champ is here. Ladies and gentlemen, the heavyweight champion of the world has arrived. The champ is here. You know, I don't know. I was kind of like thinking about this one and and tossing it around back and forth in my head. I do think, like I said, the the story that really stuck out for me this week, and this might be unpopular, but I did like the bounty hunter setup thing. So I I really like Jay Cannavale as uh, as Toro. I think that was the character that just that just jumped out for me, and I think I'll be thinking about him (laughs) a lot. So for me, he was MVP. My MVP of the week is Amy Sedaris's character. I just loved her. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the second I saw her, I was like, I think that's Amy Sedaris. Yes, it is Amy Sedaris. I loved her. And the reason I liked her, uh, aside from the fact that she's got Sigourney Weaver hair from circa 1978, yeah. um, is uh, her great, her entire career is littered with some of the greatest wigs of all time. But I just, I think that last week we had that attempt at sort of humor that wasn't, wasn't being, you know, wasn't, wasn't being too like wink, wink to the audience, but like actually adding a little bit of humor and levity in the series. And I think she was just fun. Like her whole little sequence, despite its lack of consequence for the overall episode, it was a perfect tonal balance. It was like perfect. It, it just hit the right notes. It was exactly what, what I think last week's episode, like, you know, the volume nozzles were all over the place. Whereas this week it was just perfect. Like that's, that's the kind of funny, quirky little Star Wars character and her being really cute and like, when when um, Mando eventually takes out uh, Toro, like shoots him from the side, like distracts the situation, and um, 
<laughs> he has to take that kill shot and poor little baby Yoda's frightened and he runs away and she's like, oh, did that hurt you cute? Your big baby ears, like I was just, I just loved her. She was, she was as adorable as baby Yoda. I was like, God damn it, mate! You know, you need a babysitter. Give her some cash and take her on that <laughs> razor's crest and get her to help you out. No, I just really liked her. So she was my MVP of the week. Um, and the boots in the cape of the bad guy at the end was, and look, I, I don't think it's kind of sucks because it was a great twist, like you know, to introduce a, a character as cool as Ming Na Wen's Fennec Shand, and then just bang, like Toro does the the thing that we absolutely were not expecting from him at all. Like that's another surprise of the week contender right there of him actually pulling the trigger and taking out um, Fennec Shand right there to like, you know, to 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 do this big, you know, to double double cross Mando. Um, but yeah, I just loved her. She was so cute. I, I, I'm thinking about her instantly iconic hairline, um, uh, <laughs> as, as one of the MVPs of the entire series. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. She felt like the sort of fully formed character who just arrived and yeah, just like brought this pleasantness to that. But I saw some people online saying like, she basically does what all of us would do in the presence of baby Yoda, which is like pick him up and cuddle him and like want to be his mother basically. So uh, she was like probably the most relatable character in the Mandalorian so far. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for listening this week. It has been a monster episode, a huge bounce back. I'm excited. Some teasing of some big bads, some surprises, lots of nostalgia being back on Tatooine. I can't wait to talk to my brother about Tatooine. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's extremely excited, but all of those huge Star Wars fans out there, Lindsay Romaine, you can find on Twitter at Lindsay Romaine and at Nerdist.com writing about all of pop culture, but especially Star Wars. Um, you can find me, Blake Howard, at One Blake Minute um, on Twitter, and uh, that's the best place, uh, the leap-off point for all of the freelancing stuff that I do around the place and at OneHeatMinute.com for all of our productions. But flicks.com.au is the site that is the host of this lovely podcast uh, for Lindsay and I you guys can go check out flicks.com.au for all of our show notes and everything like that and all of the past episodes our last four are all there um, and if you subscribe to the take the original take feed the Mandalorian has occupied it for the last four episodes and now fifth episode that you've listened to and we have three massive episodes to go but Lindsay and I are probably going to come back and have a massive gigantic Mandalorian Uh, Rise of Skywalker preview and perhaps post breakdown show as part of the show so we're excited to, to for you guys to listen but thank you so much for listening subscribe rate review share to all of those other Star Wars nerds that you know are going to want to listen but Linz, it's been a great week it's been great to be back on Tatooine with you it's been great to sign with Tuscan Raiders and uh, and to check out Wretched Hive of Scum and Villainy not so wretched anymore it's not as wretched as it used no. to be a little cleaner now yeah <laughs> and there's droids in the cantina now so you know they've changed their rules <laughs> they've changed their rules they've changed it guys catch you next week this podcast is brought to you by flicks.com.au australia's number one movie and cinema site My <laughs>